Hello and welcome, everyone. This is a new, different format than what we normally do. We are in a, a weird period for platforms and pitfalls where we don't ex exactly have the time to do like the full normal big episodes that we normally do. So instead, you have me, Blue, and joining me, Rowan. You know, the average normal voices that you hear, but in a slightly different capacity. Our voices are above average, at least. I think we're transcending normal just a little bit, don't you? I mean normal as in expected, not normal as in... Bye. Um, but yeah, the, these are bonus episodes where what we've done is we've decided on a topic to discuss, and then we're just going to have a back and forth. Like, we often do these kinds of like, hey, you know, I've been thinking about this recently, and then just have a thing, something that people do with their friends, I say, because I am totally a normal human being, and this is a thing that I do all the time. Yep. Um, in theory, this will be the second of these to have gone up. And if that is the case, and if you listen to the past one, it'll be similar, but maybe a bit less directed. Um, yeah, that's basically what the gist of this is. We, we are in a place where we can't do the normal stuff and we're doing this instead. And I think it's interesting. I, I think we do talk through things and hopefully, dear listeners, you think that that is valuable and at least worth some of your time. If not, we apologize, and normal platforms and pitfalls will resume at some point. One day. However, the topic for today that um, we both agreed is something that we have been thinking about and are interested to talk about. Um, very broadly, it is a very broad subject, media literacy. Obviously, with the focus of this podcast, uh, directed towards video games, but you know, in general, literacy and how we, uh, the, the methods by which we consume it. Because it's easy to say that I play video games or I watch TV or I watch a movie, right? There's a lot of parsing that goes on. There's a lot of information that's being thrown at us. And then a lot of what our brain does as heavy lifting of making it understandable. Mm -hmm. And that's not universal. <laughs> like we take it for granted that it's universal when something happens in a film and then we understand the events of it. But so much can be cut out. So much can change. There's a, there is a language involved in media. And I, in my like dabbling with film history, um, one of sort of the interesting things I learned was there's sort of in like the 1920s, we start seeing films using um, cuts to other scenes that are very much not related. And there's not like a clear linking bit of text like you would have seen in some early silent films and such to say like, oh, meanwhile, he's like, he's a jail. Yeah, meanwhile. So just like going straight yeah. from scene A to scene B or like from view A to view B very suddenly. And they're not necessarily as clearly connected as things had used to have been. And today we just understand like we've moved to a different location point in time and we can like deal with that. But at the time, audiences didn't understand that because this was the very first time they've been dealing with it. But today, even like young children can deal with these kinds of drastic cuts because we all grow up watching media now and we all grow up watching media that has these cuts, these transitions that help us understand, oh, this is this. Like young children's media tells yeah. simple stories and we sort of, and you know, obviously young children's media can tell complicated stories and deep stories and meaningful stories, the Pixar, but young children's media diets are there not just to like, entertain them and it's probably not deliberate on the parts of the creators but those pieces of media end up teaching us basic visual media literacy hmm. and, so to, oh sorry go on to, to bring it back to since we're 
talking about infants and learning at an infantile age, right? Think of this as when a baby learns object permanence. You know, when you can still play peekaboo with a child. Mm. Uh, there's a point where our brains would not understand that something that's off screen doesn't exist anymore. And we get over that very quickly. But for, you know, for the 1920 society that sees a cut, not even a jump cut, just a cut, a, a scene mm. transition for the first time, if you're not like cognizant of it, if you think everything is supposed to flow in one play, uh, mm. where, or in one like play-like setting where you can see the whole which, setting entire time. Which was the original like conceit of theater, that it was yeah, yeah. cinema, that it was a replication of theater and a lot of early right. cinematic work was emulating that. Yeah. So as the whole society had to learn it in 1920, we actually today still did have to learn it at some point. That that mm. is not ingrained knowledge. It's not motor function that our bot that our brains just is why are wired to do, right? And um, we learn media visual media literacy, movie literacy at a much faster rate than people did in the 1920s. Like young yeah. children, like if you look at Steven Universe or The Adventures of She-Ra, those are very cinematically complex pieces of work. And not mm. in terms of like, I think they're deep, complicated stories, but I mean, the techniques they use are well beyond what we used to have. And these were built up from like, you know, over a century of people using cinematic techniques, but then people growing up with those very similar techniques. Now, why mm. I say all this and why we're we starting this video game podcast talking about film history, like early 20th century, early 20th century cinema and things like that is that we can assume, I think it's very easy to assume that games are intuitive mm -hmm. because we're used to playing games and we've played a lot of games. And so, oh, I picked this up easily. So I must be able, it must be easy for other people to pick up, but we can tend to forget how much gaming language we bring into modern works and whether that's as simple as where to put your hands on a keyboard. And even that can vary on the like origin of the game you're playing. You and I have talked about previously that most modern PC gamers probably they're gonna play a game using keyboard, put their hands on WASD. But you and I, if we know we're just using the keyboard, we'll probably lean towards the arrow keys and ZXC. ZX, yeah, that's right. Which I'm sure someone listening is like, uh, what? What? Why? That's would you so do bizarre. That? Yeah, but that's like a convention of a lot of Asian PC games, particularly Japanese and I think Korean ones, right? If you go back far enough, yeah, for sure. Uh, if you go back far enough, that's actually also a convention in very early day uh, Western development, and that's why. That's true. Although Western development used more shift control alt space, to be fair. Yes, yes. Uh, but you know, basically using that bottom corner of the keyboard. Mm. Uh, and arrow keys, because when you yeah. look at a keyboard, it makes sense that you would control via the arrow keys. And that's why early Counter-Strike had overloaded controls, as in both of these would do similar things. Uh, yeah. You could either move with WASD or the arrow keys, but the way the arrow keys functioned were different. Yeah, the arrow keys emulated more of a Doom style, right? Where left and right would turn instead turn of Turn, as opposed to strafe, that's right. Because that was the convention. When the game, like yeah. that game, which many people had lived with. That's right. Yeah. And there are lots of other examples, like there's Alien versus Predator on PS1, I think, that is sort of infamous for introducing um, the dual analog control scheme that we know and love today and being critically reviled for it as like a terrible, unplayable, incomprehensible control scheme because gaming language of the time 
did not say that's how you control a game. <laughs> yeah. But now it, it's like, how else would you control a shooter? The convention at the time was like, I, I believe it was along the lines of this is so unintuitive. No one can play and manage all of these inputs in this way at once. It was mm. something like that. Yeah, um, like the way that you used to play these games was more like tank controls. Forward, front, back to move, forwards and back, left, right to turn, and with a special aiming button usually to aim, in the console convention at least. Yeah. But yeah, so the point being is that these things take a lot of time to learn. And in video games, video games are a really complicated medium. And in like even in storytelling mediums, like you have like comic book conventions that can vary from like publisher to publisher and learning the language of Marvel versus the language of DC is a thing for storytelling. Mm-hmm. But I feel like the difference between, say, learning an FPS and platformers and so on are very significant gaps that maybe a little bit more so because they require a lot more player input and direct engagement. Not to tier these mediums in any way. This is just observations. Observations. <laughs> yeah, 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 for sure. And yeah, so, oh, okay, so what, what, is, what is the point? I, I don't think we've actually made a point no, with regards to video games yet. Yeah. Um, and, and dear listener, there may not be a point, right? This is very much a, a conversation. Um, I mean, I think things out. one of the points but, is at the very least, being really aware that literacy in media is a really complicated evolves. thing. That is non-trivial and shouldn't really be assumed, especially with Mm. newer media that's still undergoing a lot of changes. Yeah. Um, Do not. I will just say things now that are just phrases that may not have a follow on. But like, go ahead. Do not do not do not assume that people have your literacy is a very big one. Mm. Do not assume that because you understand something, someone else will understand it the same way. Right. Uh, The way video games are art, video games are art. I will repeat that because it's important. Video games are art. And the way we perceive and internalize art is completely personal and unique to each of us. You will have special connections, special moments, special contexts for moments in video games, for points in video games, for video games in general, like as an entirety. Uh, And that is all personal and unique to us. And Oh, it's really hard to reconcile that sometimes because video games are so monolithic now. Mm. They're, they're the largest entertainment industry in the world. And there are so many like very clearly shared conventions between so many significant games. Yeah. And like it's, it's sort of hard to imagine when games are more diverse than their control schemes, but even just like at the right analog stick is absolutely definitely going to control the camera in any yeah. game that is like three-dimensional to the point that you would want to control a camera in. Yeah, when, when I first put hands on a controller with a right analog stick, the convention at the time was that it did nothing. Yeah. It was completely pointless for most games at the time that I first held so- a controller. Sony specifically made Ape Escape to show off what a second analog stick can do. Yeah, just because developers didn't know how to approach it, right? And... Yeah. And they also had to make games compatible with not without the DualShock, so they couldn't rely yeah. on players having two analog sticks to start with. And yeah. even the competing, competing analog stick controllers, the Sega 3D pad and the N64 control pad, only had a single analog stick. Single analog stick, that's right. Um, yeah. There, there's, and this is just on controls. Yes. This is, like, there's so much that goes into playing a video game that is taken for granted. Um because, okay, we, we already made an assumption, by the way, uh, earlier when we were talking about examples, where we said if, you're, if you sit down to play a PC-based game, uh, most gamers do this, some gamers do that, right? Uh, as in WSD and mouse versus 
uh, ZXC and arrow keys. Ignoring that if you've never played a video game before, you don't know where to put your hands. And you would definitely go to arrow keys first. No, no, actually, I've seen people don't do anything. They just oh. wait for instruction. Fair enough. Right? There's that point. There is that point. There's me, there's me doing my assumptions. I see video games and think errors. There is, there is the point before you have the literacy to even think I need to control anything because what do you do with media outside? If you've never played a video game before, what do you do with media? You sit back and you, you experience it. It's a one-way, it's a one-way exchange, right? That communication dev- uh, device is, is one way. You are told things, you are shown things. You don't, you don't do things. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen people who sit at a computer uh, with, a, with a video game and have their hands nowhere near anything. <laughs> it's at their sides, like just waiting. Which which makes perfect sense because why would you expect to, to have to do anything if you've watched movies your whole life and you don't have to do anything, right? We, we, and we we are talking about unconscious biases here. I'm sure if you ask them in that moment, they'll be like, "Oh yeah, of course I need to do something." The video game, you know, someone even someone who understands the concept of a video game, if they've never played one, they won't have any biases to take in. They won't have any instincts to take in. Mm. So, and in and when we talk about instincts in media, like. It's easy to think if a video game is like, oh, this is sort of a bit specific to gaming, maybe. But like, there's even a lot of like given literacy for individual media types in cinema. Like, you can be familiar with the language of romantic movies, yeah, and you can know how to read a scene more efficiently than I might know how to read a scene in romantic comedy. But I might yeah. be able to read a murder mystery scene much more yeah. cleanly. Chekhov's gun, right? Like, yeah. And some of that can be just like you read a book about things, but a lot of it is just like building up a set of conventions and understandings and ways in which things are done and then putting them together. So, you know, when you're when you watch a lot of murder mystery movies, you know the tools in which people can make a mystery function. Mm-hmm. And so it becomes easier to think about those tools and rationalize where they can how they can combine and things like that. When people who've played a lot of games pick up a new game, they can use all this built-up language that they have. To start to understand rules quickly. So mm-hmm. maybe you run into this, but when you pick up a board game, you probably very quickly, you as in blue, not you the listener necessarily, although possibly you the listener, um, maybe can make a lot of assumptions about, oh, this is this system. It probably works like this. And maybe you're right a lot of the time. Yeah, I, I, can, I can give you a concrete example. I can give you a concrete okay. example. I pick up a board game. One of the first things I ask of the board game is, is this a victory point game? Mm. How many people listening know what that means, right? Uh, and if you do, I have I've never used that phrase, but I know exactly what you mean. And and if you do, how many people around in your life will know that exact phrase? Mm. And majority of the people don't play enough board games to know what a victory point styled game means. They they will know like it, it it'll have some connotations because the language is implicative of what it does, right? But the general public view board games as Monopoly and snake and Snakes and Ladders. Mm. Nothing wrong with that. Maybe chess. Nothing wrong with that, but that none of those exact, none of the popular, like the really like mainstream board games are victory point games. Whereas if you're in the board game space, they dominate so much of that space. Mm. Literacy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> literacy. The ability to read things. And so, yeah, our ability to know like what victory points are, it like, gives us a tool in which to read mm-hmm. the game those of the board games. Yeah. And... To bring this back to video games, maybe more specifically now. So when we deal with games that seem unintuitive, I'm like, oh, this game is poorly designed, unintuitive. And this yeah. is a really easy trap to fall into as 
two people that do a video game design podcast. I read a lot of people who write about video games, um, and it's very easy to see these traps occur. It wasn't a thing I was uh, familiar with. It wasn't something that I could quickly read, and I'm a person who knows about games. If I can't read it, who could? Mm-hmm. But it's a different... Yeah, genuinely, there there is an audience. There, there mm. are people out there, right? Sometimes uh, you're just reading a different language, and you have to... The- learn a language and you maybe at a certain point when we grow up we're not used to learning new languages in both the literal sense of learning like japanese or french but also new media languages can be really challenging to pick up when you're older because you're used to understanding things so to be clear about this point that rowan is trying to make um while some while a beginner slash novice slash you know someone completely unfamiliar with video games approaches a video game and may have trouble um, understanding even the basic controls. The process of learning video game literacy is, 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 to be completely honest, from now on only going to get more difficult because so many more video games are being made every year. So much more is changing about that language every every day, right? Mm. Uh, and it means that more and more, whatever you think you know about video games in general, in its entirety, totality, it's not enough to know everything about it. And that means that if you explore this media, you will be constantly challenged with, why don't I like this? Why doesn't this make sense to me? Why is this so hard? Mm. And there's a really good video essay that I'll try and link in the show notes, even though it's supposed to be not a lot of prep and a lot of effort. But um, I think it's called Why I Hate Platformers. Yep. And it's by a very young video essayist. Uh, and it's not a very long piece. And in some ways, there are various issues with it. But one of the interesting points about this piece that always stuck with me in the context of video game literacy is it's about this person who doesn't like 2D games and mm-hmm. they feel uncomfortable with 2D games. They talk mm-hmm. about how they don't have like a sense of place where they are in this 2D space. They talk about how they don't like feel like they can understand where to go in 2D space, yep. which is exactly how I feel when I'm playing a game in the first person perspective. I can deal with like 3D third person space, yep. but I don't. But I remember like growing up when 3D was becoming a thing and mm. so many people said that they were getting lost in a various third dimension. Yeah, and I think as people about our age, and when we look at like the indie scene, we say that like, oh, the 2D platformer is sort of the basic thing we can assume everyone has literacy in. <laughs> we actually look yeah. to younger audiences that did not grow up with 2D games necessarily. Who like yeah. genuinely like the kids who are growing up with Fortnite will have a deeply different understanding of video game literacy and different understanding of like what games are supposed to be like. And this isn't like a bad thing at all. This is just a different thing. And so 2D platforms become a thing that has to be learned that isn't just a thing that's picked up, but the 3D mm. space is the more intuitive thing to them. And I just uh, hey, that- here's a here's a here's an anecdote that's like interesting and fast and unrelated to what you're saying here. I believe in Unity right now, as far as I'm concerned, it's as easy to make a rudimentary first person game, not a shooter necessarily, but a first person game, as it is to make a first as a 2D platformer. Mm. That sounds about right. Um, that, I've definitely seen people like whip up projects fairly neatly. Uh, and that's indicative of what people want out of it. And, and I believe, I cannot say for sure because I haven't dabbled in it, but I believe that's the case for Unreal as well. Mm. Um, and that that is in response to what will get people on board the soonest. And one of the things you will do is give them something familiar. Mm. So yeah, anyway, sorry, carry on. Um, what was I saying? That is the important question. <laughs> 
<laughs> I put you on the spot back. I'm so sorry. Um, yeah, we, we were we were getting to just the oh. language that we have growing up, basically. Yeah, language I was growing up, 2D platformers. So this video essay, um, and yeah, it really stood out to me because, yeah, we think of a certain type of game as being the approachable, intuitive thing that everyone can pick up. But actually, mm-hmm. because of differing video game literacy over time that's not the case in kind of the same way that you know i think that a lot of people today well actually maybe today this wouldn't be the case in a pre in that area between podcast narrative podcast being normal and radio plays sort of having died out there would be a gap of people that just didn't really jive with audio only content and it took the rise of podcasts which is a very slow rise Before people got back this literacy of like understanding a story purely through audio, mm. which yeah, these things all happen in different ways. Right. Yeah. There's a really hard topic to talk about. There's so many different ways it can go. There there are a lot of angles of approach for this. This mm. is a this is a quick one. This is a we're about done here. Mm. And I I think we the main thrust we want to get to is that it is hard to learn video games. As in, it's not free. That's what I mean by that. It's not hard to learn how to play a video game. But it's not free. It's not this God-given everyone can do it. It's not as easy as breathing, right? Mm. And And you might be more fluent in certain languages, and you might need to work harder at the the gaming languages that you're not so familiar with. Nice way of saying, I'm going to call a lot of people out here of go and learn your biases. Like, seriously, go and learn your biases. Learn what you don't like, and then just go, oh, I don't like that because of do some apply some critical thinking to it Uh, Mm. i'll start i don't like open world games part of that don't like walking between two points in real time Mm. that you know i've done a lot of soul searching about that it's like yeah that that. is that to say i don't like any walking video games no is that to say i hate all open world games no just as a general thing um if part of the language of the game is conveying open worldness um yeah that's what i immediately look at know your biases i have much more that are unconscious. Yeah. But it's important. And my conscious bias, I've sort of alluded to, is FPS is like the first person viewpoint sort of makes me uncomfortable. I don't feel I feel distanced from where I am in a first person perspective. Because it feels mm. so like clearly artificial, as opposed to like acknowledgingly artificial, like a third person perspective can be, I guess, if that makes sense as a sentence. Kind of. I, I get the spirit of what you're trying to say there. Yeah. yeah. Um that'd be like my real conscious bias. Um but another one that you and I have talked about um, is Mortal Kombat. So in fighting games, I'm very comfortable <laughs> with sort of the Japanese fighting game. Like, I know that language. I know the multi-blood, language of Melty Blood, the language of Guilty Gear, yeah. of Street yeah. Fighter. I'm, I'm okay with the language of, like, SNK's work, but it's a little different. Yeah. Um, but the conventions that, like, NetherRealm Studios uses and the conventions of uh, a number of sort of older Western fighting games, I, I don't know how to read them really i don't know how to read like what it wants me to do and so i don't play them and maybe it's because they're genuinely awful but since they're some of the best-selling fighting games on the planet probably not i like that this is a call out now this is a call out for us right because we both don't like netherrealm studios games um with that said uh Tournament popularity aside, because that's a different thing, how competitive a, a video game, a fighting game especially is, is, is a completely different question. NetherRealm Studios games are some of the highest selling fighting games ever. <laughs> They're beaten out only by fighting games with attached IPs like Dragon Ball. Mm, like Dragon Ball and Smash Brothers. <laughs> as far as, yeah, as Smash Brothers. As far as 
fighting games that are only fighting game IPs, they are the biggest uh, and most popular fighting games in the world. Mm. And we too, who who self call ourselves, who call ourselves fighting game enthusiasts, uh, dislike it. Yeah, it's just about mm-hmm. knowing it. Yeah. So taking some time to think about what your what languages you're fluent in, what languages you're not, and whether you want to learn these other convention sets, these yep. other like ways in which games can function. And I think it's always important to me, like one of the important things about thinking about games like this is to not always lump in, I don't understand this. This is bad at teaching me to being more like you're reading a book that is at a much higher like language skill level than you're currently at. Like we take time to learn how to read in English or whatever language you might want to speak. And we are variously differently fluent, uh, fluent at English. Yeah, as evidenced by the fact that that sentence was completely made up and didn't work. But I hope the point gets across there. Yeah, like you're not going to hand a three-year-old Lord of the Rings and say you're going to have a great time with this, because no one's going to have a great time with Lord of the Rings. But that aside, it <laughs> is a more linguistically complicated book than well, I kind of think of an easy book, Harry McClary's Sunny Day, or Spot the Dog, or something. Uh, yeah, Enid Blyton. Yeah, probably still beyond three-year-old, but yeah, yeah, like we we have these like stepping stones when we talk about books and like you get better at reading can read more complicated material and that's the same with games you know starting with crusader kings as your first 4x game might not be the best plan having said that you know some uh children and adults now some of their first movies that they remember at least star wars right which is not necessarily a a simple uh, not necessarily the most complicated movie but definitely not a simple one and that's that's the power of this medium right with books we are actually held back by whether or not we can understand the the words on the page but with with film and with video games with video games as long as you can get past the controls there's a lot that we can just get kind of get through and then we can come back later and, and then get more out of it so yeah we could go on and on but i suspect that this is a a good point to uh cap it yeah i think that's it I hope you got something out of our ramblings on video game literacy and that we sound like vaguely literate people, maybe even. That is a, that's a hope. And um, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't hold my breath about it. Nope. I hope as well that you found some enjoyment out of this slightly different kind of discussion. So more peek behind the scenes. This is a kind of discussion that we won't find a place for in our normal platforms and pitfalls format. It doesn't quite work to just kind of talk about vagaries this way um so we're either going to do more vague abstract stuff or hyper specific things and uh either way i hope they're okay i hope you don't mind them if you do like them drop us a note and let us know if you really hate them keep it to yourself uh but if you do feel like the need to tell us that this really sucked come and let us know uh we have a twitter uh at twitter yep We've got a Facebook and emails. They'll be in the show notes. In the show notes. Um, we don't know what the next of these will be. Expect more of these, though, um, probably for about another month or so. Mm. At least one coming up will be like a very, very specific topic, I think. If we go through with it. So none of this is uh, locked in stone yet. But yeah, if we go through with it, the next one of the coming up ones will be hyper-specific, uh, and we'll treat that more like story time as opposed to brain engagement, I just say, like mm-hmm. where you can just turn your, your brain off. Uh, but yeah, with all of that said, uh, thank you everyone for listening. Next time. <laughs>